Okay, well, welcome, Max, to the inaugural Hands on Business podcast. Thanks for joining me. The aim of this podcast is really just to have a, a friendly chat with business leaders from different industries and different disciplines to discuss what it takes to succeed in business. What are the tips? What are the tricks? What are the strategies? Hopefully, we'll also have a bit of fun along the way. Uh, so on to the show today, and we're joined by Mags Bell, one of the most inspirational coaches I've ever worked with. Uh, she's a business owner. She's an author. She's a coach. She's a speed speaker. She's a behaviorist. Not sure uh, there's much actually that she doesn't do. And she's now residing in sunny Australia, uh, having moved from the less sunny climb of Scotland. Um, so uh, on to the show. Uh, I won't go on about Magsy's achievements because uh, a lot of people don't like to be praised. However, Magsy isn't one of those. Uh, and I'm sure she'd let me go on forever. So uh, the topic for discussion comes from uh, the title of Magsy's book, which is What the Bleep is Coaching. So welcome, Mags. Uh, thank you very much for that warm, warm welcome as always, Hakim. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, so before we actually jump into the title of the book and start talking a bit more about coaching, the one question I know I have when I was looking at your biog and looking at the thing is, well, before we talk about what the bleep is coaching, what the bleep is a behaviourist? <laughs> uh, uh, to be honest, we're all behaviourists. The only difference is... I tend to study a lot more and I tend to be more present and more uh, curious about behaviours than others. Uh, I've researched and done lots of stuff on behaviours and how humans interact. So we all do that to a certain extent. And it started when I was a young kid and I would be on holiday in Blackpool, sunny Blackpool. And um, my mum and myself would be standing at walls, leaning over the walls, watching people go by and making stories up about people. And then it went to watching and observing behaviour and it became a bit of an addictive thing for me. And over the years, it then manifested into how can I use that information that I've gathered over the years and the information that I collect through research and experience. Because there's one thing about research, the other thing is actual experience in it. And it bore fruit when I then became, I went into management and really, really saw what behavior was all about and how my behavior impacted on others as much as the behavior of others impacted on me. So that's basically what a behavioralist is. Okay, thank you very much. So you've obviously taken that on from a very, very young child uh, and taken that into your business, which is always good. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it, we all do. We all start somewhere with some interest and then it just goes further and further. So it's just the study of me studying people and behaviours and I just find it fascinating. Okay, thank you very much. So before um, I get into, into the crux of the book, um, I want to give a warning to people. Don't try this at home. You know, lots of people think they can be coaches. Lots of people think they can do what Mags does because it sounds quite simple. Uh, but Mags has over 60,000 hours of coaching under her belt. So she's more than qualified to talk on this topic. So I think it's just important to mention that. 
I mean, I think Mags, we were talking before, you said you actually stopped counting at one point. Uh, yeah, because uh, as a as a professional coach, you tend to keep a log. So you keep a, a coaching log to see how many errors you've logged. Uh, and may I add, I was not a natural coach. Uh, I was very much authoritarian. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you need to do. Just go and do it. Uh, so I, I actually came to coaching a wee bit later in my managerial life. And funny enough, it, I went on my first coaching course and I kept thinking, what a lot of bollocks this is. What, what am I doing here? And I learned a wee bit, but not a lot. And then funny enough, surprisingly, my company put me on another coaching course. <laughs> I should have taken the hint at that point. Uh, and it was there that I had an issue with a member of staff and thought, well, wait a minute, maybe this will help me because I, I couldn't, I couldn't help this member of staff and I didn't understand why. And it was the learning I got from that. And I took that back into the field, tried it and it worked. And I went, wow, that's amazing. And that's where my love of coaching came from. So when you're a professional coach, you keep coaching log. So you keep your hours. And I, I'd eventually got to, uh, 63,000 something or other in hours. And I just thought, you know, I really don't need to keep this anymore. I just know it's over 60,000 60, hours of coaching. So I'm way, way beyond that. I've got no idea. And I don't, it's only, it's, it's only to show people that I've, I've done a lot of coaching, you know, and that I'm experienced in it. Cause as not a natural coach, I was shite at the beginning. I wasn't a good coach, <laughs> even with a bit of training under my belt. So, you know, I started badly and I got better and then I put the hours in and it's like every other thing we do, if we don't um, sharpen that tool as Stephen Covey talks about, we don't sharpen it and we don't keep that up and we just don't keep learning. It's not that I've stopped like doing coaching, I've just stopped counting the hours because it's like what's more important to me is what I'm doing to better my coaching rather than how many hours have I done. That's a really important uh, message, actually, because I think a lot of people, uh, and I talk about it a lot when I'm when I'm talking uh, and giving um, lectures, etc. Is that lots of things around sales, marketing, coaching, those sort of what we describe as soft skills, are always thought of that. Oh well, you you you're born like that, aren't you? You're just born knowing how to coach, or you're born knowing how to sell, or born knowing how to. Uh, you know, market to, to a particular environment, and it's not. It's it's about about having a methodology yes. and actually putting the hours in and understanding it and continually learning. Uh, so I think that's a really really important point. Okay, so moving on to oh, go on. I was going to say I absolutely love, and I was one that talked about soft skills, and I actually turned my nose down at soft skills. Mm -hmm. You know, why would I bother with that? Why can't I just tell somebody what to do? Um, but actually, those soft skills that we say are actually the hardest. We shouldn't be calling them soft. They're actually the hardest thing for a lot of us to do. So yeah. actually, I tend to call them the hard skills rather than the soft. It's a really good point, Hickey. <laughs> you make a good one, mate. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I, I'll try and make a, a couple more for you. <laughs> I can't promise. Um, so, okay, so onto the, the actual book, uh, you know, What the Bleep is Coaching. So tell me what inspired you to write the book and what inspired that title? 
Uh, well, I didn't want to write another book about how to coach. There's thousands of books out there on how to coach. But what I did get a lot of the time from prospective clients or people who I'd meet either out in business or networking or even socially, and people would say, you know, um, what is it you do? And if I said I was a coach, they're like, what is that? You know, what do you actually do? Um, because we hear the word and we hear it in all different realms. Okay. So, uh, and particularly nowadays, it's become a real sexy word to throw behind. So if you're, uh, if you're a trainer, you're a trainer coach. Uh, mm -hmm. if you are teaching something, they throw in coaching, uh, and that's not quite right. And so people would get not quite sure what it was all about. And, Rather than it, that, rather than have a, another book on the market about how to coach, I actually thought there's a lot of people that don't understand what happens. Um, and I put, I, instead of writing it from the point of view of, uh, this is what it does and this is how it is, I actually got uh, a number of people who I had coached and asked them the same questions, the same set of questions, which is in the back of the book, the questions in the back of the book. And I recorded them, and it was amazing the difference of what came out, uh, and that was as it was a surprise to me actually because you're asking the same question. Do you think it might be slightly different? But it was so different from each person, and basically they're a set of case studies, so people can see what people were like before, what coaching had done for them and the difference it made. So it's basically stories about people's lives and how coaching has affected them. So, and there's also a couple of appendix at the back that talk about how to find a coach that's right for you. So, and how to interview them. So it, it was really a self-help book. It was a help on those people who would say, I don't know if I need a coach. Should, should I, should I get a coach? Is, is coaching a good thing for me? It was really to answer those questions. Go read what it's done for other people. And if, it, if you think it is good for you, then go and find out, you know, how to find a coach. And here's a book that will help you do that. So that, that it's a self help book for those who were thinking about it. And maybe it is not for you. So don't waste your time. It's yeah. just as important. You know, maybe you're looking for something else, like a mentor, or maybe you're looking for a counsellor, or maybe you're looking for something else. It might not be coaching. So that was the reason for writing the book. And why is it called What the Bleep? Because so many times, well, first of all, there is uh, a great movie called What the Bleep. Um, so there was that part. And the second part was people kept saying, what is coaching? So for me, it was just a natural, what the bleep is coaching? Because some people did actually say, what the is coaching anyway <laughs> so it just made a natural yeah that fits really nicely about what the bleep is coaching thank you very much and uh, and it's interesting actually because you, you started talking about mentoring and counseling then and i was mentioning to my wife last night that i'm going to be interviewing max and then she said oh that's very interesting because i'm going to be starting mentoring at work uh, and i said mm, yeah i'm talking about coaching not mentoring so i think it leads me quite nicely into that question as in what's the difference because people do confused what's the difference between mentoring counseling and coaching um well you're a very good coach yourself Hakeem and I have seen you coach uh, <laughs> and it's it is very different from the other three but yes you're absolutely spot on mate people mix it up 
all the time. So let me be really clear. Uh, mentoring is when I have done something or I have been in that position or I have been through exactly what the person is about to go through and they need a bit of help and advice from me. So it's my wisdom or, uh, from the experience I've had doing something very similar to them. That is where a mentor is wonderful. They're usually, they may use some coaching, but they tend to be about, the very good ones use a bit of coaching, put it that way. Um, but they, they tend to be about the advice that they're able to give people uh, and the stories that they can give about what it was like for them doing that. So that's the mentoring role. The, when it comes to people who need counselling, counselling for me is when we go back in our past and our lives and it's something that has affected us and we've not let it go and a counsellor will come along and help someone to go back there, to face it, to look at it, to come to terms with it and to move forward uh, in some way or other to help them. For me, as a coach, uh, it's just about facilitating thought processes and I am very much, the line is in the sand, the past is the past, right? To be honest, I don't really need to fix anything in the past. You know, if you need that, if you need to go back there and do the work, then a counsellor is the better person for you. On the other hand, we what we do is we draw the line in the sand and as coaches, we're going forward. So sometimes somebody will want, they need to tell me because they just need to get the, I often talk about feelings need to be acknowledged. And a lot of people don't, so they just keep stuffing them down and they'll come out they will come out shouting at people, getting annoyed at people. They will come out in some way. Whereas sometimes people just need to acknowledge their feeling, possibly from the past. That is fine. I'll hold the space for that to happen. However, I am not going to dwell there and I'm not going to pick that apart. I'm actually going to draw the line in the sand and say, okay, you're ready to move forward with that. If they're not, then they need to go to a counsellor and get that done. And I have done counselling before, so I. I very much know the difference between the two. Um, and I'm quite happy that somebody else picks up on that if somebody needs to go to the past and deal with something. But we can very easily, and I have done it with many clients and I've done it myself, we can very easily draw the line in the sand and just totally focus on going forward and what we need to do for ourselves on that vein and not keep bringing the past into, because as soon as we talk about the past, it's not the past anymore. And this is the bit people don't get. You talk about the past, it's now. Right? Yeah. What he done, what she done, my mother done this, and this is what my mother's always done, and my mother's caused this, and my father's done, so he caught in, and it's blame, 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 blame. Coaching is not about blame. It's not about allotting blame to anyone. It's actually about taking full responsibility for me. So that's the difference between the three. And very much it's about me asking questions, as you know, Hakeem, because you're good at it and you're doing it right now. It's asking <laughs> the questions to facilitate the thought processes that are going on within. And sometimes we get so stuck. And I, I, I talk about it even in the book. I talk about seeing the wood for the trees. Okay, we get st so stuck in it. I'm, as a coach, I'm the one that's pulling them out, making them look above, look below, look in, through, wherever they need to. And that is just through questioning, really good 
position questions that make their mind go, ah. And if I had a dollar for every time I have heard, you are so right, Mags, what all I've done is ask a question. I've actually not told them anything. Their own inner being um, has actually gone boom, light bulb on. That's what that is. And it's only through a really good question that makes them think about them that brings those light bulb moments. Okay, thanks for that. And that, that's a really comprehensive and, and, and a, a very clear answer. And it, and it leads me on to the next one because um, lots of people uh, will be watching this and be thinking or, or listening and be thinking, right, yeah, yeah, we'll get into the crux of it. How, how, how is this going to help me? So I thought that it would be useful for you to think of um, if you've got any anecdotes of where you've had uh, people who didn't believe in coaching necessarily, because there's lots of them about who, especially senior managers, who think, well, what do I need a coach for? I've got to this stage. I can do. I, I I can run a business. I don't need any help. I don't need it. I've learned everything I need to learn. So, yeah. do you get any anecdotes of people like that who didn't believe in it, but then after you'd finished, became disciples and thought, "Oh, actually, I need to be using this more and more," and then actually uh, getting other people to use it. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's many. There's many examples of people who uh, I, I specifically remember uh, one um, one woman who she's she's sort of very well known in her sphere and I had just newly arrived in Australia and she had out of the kindness of her heart she's seen it as I didn't know anyone here I was building networks up and she said um I think what what I'll do is um I'll let you coach me Max and then I can write a testimonial for you and I said I don't think that you really you would want me as your coach and she went no 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 i think I, and, and she was doing it from a place of love you know she would really want to help me um and i said no seriously i don't think that you no she she was in the learning and development realm but she really didn't she she wasn't convinced about coaching um and she basically said no 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 i'd really like to help and i said well if you were going to do this, we need to do it the proper way. So I, I got her to sign a form and I said, you'd really need to be in this. So it's not a case of, uh, let's put an, a coaching agreement together and you really need to want to go there. No, 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 I do, I do. And I said, okay, let's do it. And uh, she, it was so funny because as we done it, she realized that I wasn't what she'd perceived as coaching which was pretty much so tell me all about what you need then and yes yeah oh yes it can't be easy so let's try that nothing that's what she well i know that that's what she expected because whenever someone had called themselves a coach that's what she'd experienced so she could only go on her experience but when she realized that i played hardball and asked really inquiring questions of herself it blew her mind and, and so much so that she actually wrote about how she had no idea what coaching was about until that moment in time. And it had made such a difference to her. Right. So it went from, I'd like to write you a nice testimonial to actually, oh my God, I didn't realize just what you get from a proper coaching conversation that really is all about me. Wow. So that that's just one of many that I can think of. And, and, and how, how, 
I don't know about that particular instance, but in that instance or other instances, because I know that's what everyone's thinking is, how did it impact their bottom line? With it, has anyone come back to you and said, "Oh, well, before coaching, I was here. After the coaching, I was there, and this is what it delivered in terms of pounds, shillings, and pence or dollars." Uh, I, I, I personally have a spreadsheet. <laughs> but being the woman that I am, uh, oh yeah, this, 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 this is so surprising to me. This uh, <laughs> you've got a cheap for it. <laughs> it is is a subjective thing, right? So, but yeah, you're right, Hakim, uh, spreadsheet queen, can't help myself. Uh, but yeah, I, I like to correlate even subjective things um, to look at how can we ROI anything. So you need a return on investment. If you're going to invest in something, you need the ROI. You need that return on investment. So I have a spreadsheet that I do with uh, each uh, each coaching client and we look at the bottom line before they started and then we look at the amount of hours it takes them. Um, to do certain things or what's holding them back and the amount of hours they're spending on that. So let, let's just say, and a lot of people do come to me because <laughs> the one thing in life that, that I've often heard, I've heard it so many times, business would be great if it wasn't for the people. Right? It's, like, <laughs> it's the people that make the business. So you really need to learn to work with people. And this is where the behavioralist comes in. So if I look at how much time people are taking with, the people issues that they're having and then we look at that at the end of it we, we I, I go into specifics on the time and how much that is and how much their time is worth etc and then how much they've actually been charged for the coaching and then from that how, and, and not only just charged but also in time because they take time out to do the coaching so that's also how much are they worth for those amount of hours that they're doing the coaching and we take that off and we still get I, I don't ever go anything under I think the lowest I think I've ever been is about 150 percent ROI Profit ROI yeah yeah excellent yeah because I, th I think that's really important because I think you know the reason people call it soft skills often is because they don't think they actually deliver anything yes. Um, yes. you know similar to what your, your your story about when you first started you're thinking oh, what a load of uh, mm -hmm. BS you know, yeah. I think a lot of people think that, and 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 it's only, I think often um, either you're in your situation where you've gone through the training and you've learned, or you've been exposed to someone coaching you. And yes. you know, and I'm not going to mention the individual's name, but you know, there's a person who used to manage me yes. who inspired me through coaching, yes. which then led me to think actually I'm much more effective because of this mm -hmm. lady's coaching. Uh, therefore, there's something in this coaching, and I was very fortunate to come across her very very early on in my career. Yeah. Uh, which, which is what turned me on to, to coaching and, and why I thought it was so important to actually deliver uh, on that bottom line. So that, that's really interesting. And, and the fact you call it hard skills, I think, is, is a nice one as well, because you're probably right. It, it, it is one of the hardest things to do, yeah. uh, especially when you're like us, that we like to talk, mm -hmm. to ask that questions and let people start answering as opposed to putting the answers in their mind and saying, look, look just do this yeah. and then you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> You know, it's actually asking questions and getting them to come to their own conclusions and self-discoveries. So, so what is what is the most difficult thing about what you do? Because obviously you're running a business. Uh, obviously you're trying to get clients. You're trying to make sure that those clients are profitable so they come back time and time again and refer you to other people. What's the, what's the most difficult part of all of that? Uh, well, 
I suppose, unlike what you've just said, I'm actually here not to get clients over and over again. So the most difficult part for me is a good coach, um, and I'll often equate this to um, in psychology, people actually, it's a bit of a dichotomy because you've got psychologists who are actually needing people to come back to them all the time. And coaching, you could say, is in the same realm. But for me, it's I need to help them empower themselves, right? So they don't need my spell. So I suppose the hardest part for me is I my ego could easily go, if I firefight and just sort that problem out, and this is what happens a lot, we'll sort that problem out, but we won't get to the depth of what is really causing the fires, right? So instead of putting fires out, I'm actually going to the depth of the cause. We work on that, those fires don't appear. Whereas a lot of psychologists and coaches work on here. They just work on the top level, putting the fires out, putting the fires out. But the good thing is when you put a fire out, another fire pops up. Put the fire out, another. So that's great for me as a business because people keep needing me. And it feeds into rescue. Right, where I become a rescuer. I don't become an enabler. I become a rescuer and they're the victims. And that relationship then keeps going. Um, and so for me, it's not the hardest part for me to do because I've been doing it for so long, but wrapping my head around that when I started my business. Now, people will come back to me. It's not that they don't, but it's for a completely separate thing that they just need a wee bit. Or they sometimes retain me um, just for those times that some issue has popped up that they want to do. But most of the time, I'm looking to get rid of me. And when <laughs> I work with people, and I tell them at the beginning, we'll work, we work for a certain period of time, and I'm not into this, let's do a month's worth of work or a couple of weeks or a couple of months, a couple of sessions or whatever. Um, I, I'm into the long haul because I'm working with leaders. I'm working with people who lead businesses. For them to do the work they need to do, it isn't just a case of, well, let's do it three times and that'll be it over. So we, they, they usually come in for at least 12 sessions. Um, but I tell them at the beginning, if I haven't actually helped you get there within the 12 sessions, then we need to look at what's not working. <laughs> and that'll be done in session four, five, six, not session 12. Um, and the other thing is you're going to have to give me a bloody good reason why we should be working together next year. Yeah, no, and and that that's I think that's a very interesting um, point, isn't it? It's about about that coaching contract, isn't it? Because that person has to be engaged as much as you are, otherwise yeah. it just doesn't work. Uh, and I, and I've seen that a couple of times where you know the the coach is trying to chase down the coachee, you know, and try and you're thinking, I don't think they're interested. And if they're not interested, <laughs> the chance of you having success is very limited. So uh, it's a very it's a very interesting one. I've seen that on numerous occasions. So, so what's the best thing about what you do? I suppose the best thing for me is I absolutely love watching people grow and develop. I love watching the company, um, the person and the company just expand. And, and it's not just the bottom line growth, it's watching how people love working together. And a lot of the times there's 
some disarray happening within the company and that's why I come in to help. And to watch people start to enjoy working together again, that that just fills my soul. It's just fabulous. Uh, so yeah, that that for me is the best thing. I think that's important, isn't it? Because uh, as you said earlier, uh, the business are the people. Uh, yeah. So yeah. if the people aren't enjoying working together, that can not only significantly affect the bottom line, uh, yeah. but it just impacts on everything. As we as we've seen during this coronavirus era, not era, not being able to get in to see people. I think that's the thing that people are finding the most difficult, rather than any other aspect of it, because people like working with people generally, not everybody. You do, get, you, you do get a few that don't. Um, <laughs> so, so what's what's the most unusual client you've ever had, and why? Ooh, there's a question. What's the most unusual? Depends what you mean by unusual, mate. I think there's there's any, anything that stands out as being a, a strange client, somebody that you know um, just wasn't what you expected. Or you got, or you found an unusual result from from what you delivered with them, and you weren't expecting that either. I suppose early, I, I would say probably um, it's not so much unusual. It is the usual when you go about it the wrong way, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that's probably in my early career as uh, actually as anything. But as a, in my early career, starting a new business for myself, and you. You're so busy starting the business that you go against your values, right? So what happens is you uh, you put yourself out there on this is who I am, this is what I do. People come along, you think I need to take that business because I'm starting a business. I need business in. I need to cash flow. I need it to go well. I need to hit my targets, and um, you you know it's not the right fit, and yet you take it. So you then hopefully learn <laughs> the lessons from that. But I think, especially when you're running your own business, it usually takes you two or three, maybe even four, to go, hang on a second here, this just isn't working. Uh, yeah. So it, for me, and, and it, I know for a fact it's to do with my values. Now, this is one thing that, as a coach, I am massive on. I am massive on everybody understanding what their values are. And I often ask the question, you know, what are your values? And it doesn't matter how high up the tree they are. I've, I've had people who own, who are like CEOs or CFOs of very, very big companies. Uh, and I've had a business owner that has three staff. And I asked the same question, and you would think the corporate guys would know better, and yet, they, as soon as they go, eh, then I know they don't know their values. Because if you can't go that, 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 and that, or how many values you have, and this is what it means to me, you don't know your values. And of course, that that's what will lead you into the right, I, I've got a, an online course called Decision Making Made Easy, and it's actually how to find your values your vision and your purpose, so your why. And I, I can't tell you how important they are, not to have them on a wall of a, a company, but actually for you to have your inner compass working for you. Because we have three brains in our body, literally three brains, and we usually only one, use one or two at a time. 
Whereas when we actually align these, it makes life so much easier and you can actually go, do you know something? This is the wrong thing for me. Whereas when we don't know what those are, your values sit in your gut brain. So your head brain will overrule that. So head brain is where you're, uh, you have free will. We are the only creatures on this planet to have free will. And this is where ego lives. And then you've got this gut brain that actually intuitively knows what's right and wrong. So because the head brain talks in language, but these two brains down here talk and feel, right? If that doesn't understand these, then it'll override it every single time. And the perfect example of that is when people, and particularly leadership, when you're interviewing people and you've got this list your HR policy and you, you're going through and you're ticking all the boxes and you're saying this, but there's just something and you can't work out the something. And yes, but they've ticked the boxes, they've got the, the, the score is really good and you go, wow, I'm going to have to give them the, the job. And that's the head brain overruling the gut brain. And then you give them the job and within no time at all, you know, I knew why I shouldn't have given them the job, but we've overruled it, right? Whereas divine will lives down here. It'll never overrule free will. So yeah. this is why we need to know our values because actually if we made it all in the gut, it, it would be right. The problem is we can't trust it because we don't really know it. So I help people put names, words and phrases to this is what it means to me so that when they're in, this will go, oh, wait a minute, that's one of my values. And when I when I managed and, and I actually did, I mean, I was, again, I was really shy at doing interviews to begin with. But I got better as I was doing competency-based and everything else. Yeah. But really, I became great at it when I was doing value-based along with competency-based. And most people don't do value-based questions. So when you know your values, you know if you're working with the right company because do they share my values? Yeah. The same comes with me. If I'm in a company of my own, I need to have my own values, which to be honest, the company values will be very similar because they're my values. And the CEO's values are the same. So if a new CEO comes in and we don't recruit that CEO with the values base, then they're going to decimate and you see it, decimate the company or that's what it looks like. Everybody leaves and then a new company emerges because they have a different set of values. So it's not always just about performance. So for me, that was probably the hardest learn at the beginning was don't go against my values. But, it, but the, interesting thing, the interesting thing is that even though you say it's not all about performance, it is all about performance because you get those things right. You get high-performing companies such yeah. as yours. You get high-performing teams because people actually in the company are bought in to that value system. And I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but I remember, I remember hearing somebody say something about Gandhi and saying, that he was authentic because it's about authentic leadership which is what you're about when you're talking about value base and they said that he was authentic because he believed in what he said he said what he believed and then he delivered on what he said because that was what he believed in um and 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 that's where when you see leaders in organizations who have that authenticity and we're living in a time now uh where we don't need to mention leaders of certain countries that don't seem to have that authenticity split the country um and it leads to a lack of harmony and it leads to lack of performance <laughs> in the end. Yes. Uh, so, so I think that's a really, really important uh, thing to have value based. And I know you've done it and I've 
hopefully done it to, a, to, to the same degree, is that we've always tried to work in companies or work for ourselves with that value system. Yes. Which, de which generally tends to lead to success, because if you work in an environment that feeds into your values, you enjoy doing it. If you enjoy doing something, generally, you become quite good at it. And I think, I think that's a really uh, important take home for anybody listening to this, is that actually, if you don't know what your values are, you need to go and find out what the values are, and you need to make sure that you're working in an environment which actually helps those values grow rather than suppresses them or pushes them down or is against those values, because that way madness lies, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> And, and I'm sure we've all experienced that. I certainly did it early on. Thank God it was early on in my career. And I went for a job because they were headhunting me. So okay, ego took over. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I I looked at values on the website, but I didn't actually do my due diligence on it. I was too busy going, yeah, you want me and this is what I want. So unless you want me, that's what I'm, you know, that's what my package needs to be. I was so busy in my, my ego. When I walked through that door and found out they didn't share my values, that was one of the hardest jobs. We don't have to work hard hacking. I don't work hard. I love what I do. It's so easy because I love it. But we get this idea that we have to work hard and it's the only way hard work gets you that it's like yeah. that bollocks. It's what it's what our parents and grandparents went through when they went through wars and various other things yeah. that they thought they had to work hard and then they invested that into us. But actually I do my best work when it's easy. <laughs> so for me, it's very much about I, I, if I'm working with my values, then things flow. If I work against them, then I'm going against the flow. And I don't want to go against the flow. I don't need to. So I will always, always look at, does this fit my values? Does this fit my why? And does it fit my vision? And if it doesn't, one of them's no, I just don't, don't get anywhere near it. And I think that's, that's very sage advice. It's, it's actually funny. I was in the gym the other day and I was talking to a friend of mine. And I was telling him about my son Musa and saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're trying to get him to work hard. And, you know, and, and I said to him the other day, you think I like going to work? And, you know, we all have to work hard. And my friend said to me, you love going to work. What are you talking about? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, just go with me on this analogy. I said, I, I, that's not entirely true what I said, Musa. But you get the message. But, it, but, it, but it's true. If you actually enjoy what you're doing, then actually you enjoy getting up. You enjoy getting out there because you enjoy impacting, whether that's on people, whether that's on business. Uh, whatever it is, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing, you have an impact on something, even if it's only on yourself. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's really, really important. So, so, uh, outside of coaching, because mm -hmm. obviously we're talking a lot about coaching, uh, do you have any pearls of wisdom? I know you do, uh, that you can impart in terms of driving business success. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I know my, my next book coming along is going to be called Leading Me. Um, and it's part of what I now do. And what I realised over time was those people who had massive impact on their companies and the bottom line and the people around were the ones who were great. And it falls lovely in with what you're saying. It doesn't matter what you say. Kids, staff, whatever, will only react to what you do. So you can, you can spout anything you want here, but if it's not congruent, with what you're actually displaying and acting, then, and I don't mean acting as an, I mean, you are actually leading the way in whatever it is, then what you'll find is you'll get exactly what that is. 
And if you're sloppy in the way you do things, but you want everybody else to be spot on, they're not going to be spot on. They're going to be sloppy. Right. So um, I would say the best leaders that I've seen, and, and I'm, I'm sort of over the word leadership. I'm sort of over that because we talk about, you know, leadership and learn this and do that and go and learn about this and go. And but in actual fact, leadership is about leading me. If I'm not leading me, then, or if I'm leading me in a certain way, those people are going to follow that certain way. So I need to lead, know me, first of all. If I don't know me, and a lot of people don't know me, and they don't know their values, they don't know their vision, they don't know the purpose for themselves, but they're expecting other people to do that, that's usually when the whole company's in disarray. Right? Um, and I think people think they can get away with it, and they will for a certain length of time. And there's certain leaders in this world at the moment that are acting and getting away with some things, but other people are saying, no, that isn't working. And eventually what it does is it does break things down. Now, out of chaos comes, it's the chaos theory of physics, which is fantastic. Um, but we, we will have order of some sort because we have to go through some chaos and sometimes we have to go through it ourselves. And if we haven't looked at that chaos, or as Carol Jung talks about that shadow side, those who don't look at the shadow side are too busy in ego, right? And therefore ego gets out of whack and we are expecting people to follow something else, they are going to follow your example. And then you, do, and you don't understand why they're not doing X, Y, and Z, because that's what you said. And I would say very early on, when I was a dictatorial shit, um, <laughs> that was me. I was an ego. I, you know, I was good at what I'd done. I know it was good. You know, you, you should be following what I'm doing. And we don't realize that's egoic leadership. You know, and I think a lot of us come from that and then we learn through time that actually that's not getting us very far. So we change our leadership. And I've got this ladder of leadership where, you know, you come from egoic right up to leading me. When you're leading me and it's true, authentic leadership, it's about it's about what am I doing for the troops? What can we do to make it easier for them? Because if I create that environment, wow. What a difference there will be in performance and there is lots and lots of research out of there that has shown this time and time again and even the hard ass you know police departments etc that have taken the so-called softer approach but in actual fact it's been the hardest thing to do funny enough it's had massive impact on not just the police force but the communities that they serve and that's what makes the difference so yeah it for me, it's leading me. It's all about, we have to lead me and stop looking at them to change. We need to do the changing. If we're leaders, we need to change before they're going to do anything. And yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's a, <laughs> uh, more than I was expecting, but absolutely spot on. And I think that when you, when you look, I mean, and I think, I'm hoping we, we, we both are continually learning whatever age we get to yeah, we're continually yeah. learning and we're looking and modeling and looking at what people are doing and I think people look at the great leaders the Nelson Mandela types the Martin Luther King types the Gandhi types and the whole you know JFKs although uh, he was up to lots of shenanigans uh, <clears throat> but 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 you know people who, who looked at authentic leadership you know there's lots of examples throughout history and people always look at those guys and exactly what you said is true of them but people don't often look at 
as you were talking about the police department, the, 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 the person in business that are doing exactly the same things and they get the same sort of results. They don't get maybe the world transformations that some of those other guys are getting, but they get that transformation within their, their sphere of influence. And that's, that's a real, um, driver for me. Cause I think when, when you're younger, often you want, you want to change the world yeah. and then you get a bit older and realize you can't all be, um, you know, changing the world. But what you can do is you have a, you have a sphere of influence that you can change. That may be your family. That may be your business. If you're a business leader, that may be your department. If you're a department head. And I think that that authentic uh, nature you're talking about allows you to do that in whatever sphere you're in. And once you start doing that, that is, that, that coming back to that same thing, you start enjoying what you're doing yeah. and you just start becoming better at it because you're actually, I'm actually doing what I want to do. Whatever the job is. I'm bringing myself, if you're talking about leading me, I'm bringing myself to this role. And therefore, it's not difficult because I'm just being me. Yeah. And people like it or they don't like it. And if they don't like it, it means I'm in the wrong organisation. I need to go and find an organisation that does benefit from it and does like it. Yeah, because that organisation will benefit from me and I'll benefit from them. Um, so it's, and again, that's back to, I'm working in a place that doesn't appreciate art. And you've got to watch, you don't get stuck in this ego thing about appreciation. They don't appreciate me. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm a victim here. And you play that card. Whereas it's like, actually, they don't get me and they don't, ah, wait a minute. I, this is my value. Oh, I can see how that, because I know my values. I can see how that's not a value of theirs. So I need to get out of here. Right. So it's, it is every single time it comes back to your values. So by knowing them, you're able to go, this is the right choice for me. And when, whenever, when I got to the point of understanding my values, whenever I was going for jobs, I was interviewing them about their values as much as I was, they were interviewing me for my fit. They weren't necessarily interviewing me on a value base, but I was them. And it was my choice, not their choice. So I think this is a bit we get mixed up on, you know, oh, I need a job, so we get any desperation or whatever it may be. In actual fact, it's like, well, actually, I don't need, to. we make stories up with our ego, how they actually, I need the job or it's the only one that's close to home. And beliefs are only thoughts that are thought over and over and over and over again. So if we believe that I'm, I'm not going to get another job that's close to that place, so I don't have that much travel time, or I'm never going to get the same amount of money as this is offering or whatever, then I'll trust, trust you completely and you're right. I'm not going to argue with you on that because yeah. that's your belief. Is it right for me? No, because I know I could get whatever I want at any point in time. And that's the people, that's the thing that people don't really get. We have so much power, Hakeem, in getting exactly what we want when we want it. And the thing is, we keep getting exactly what we want. The problem is, we think, I've just done a podcast, and, and I, I do YouTube and podcast the other day, uh, under Leading Me We Gems. And i done one the other day that was on, uh, the abundance isn't just money. Right? Because we talk about abundance and we think that's a great thing and that when when I'm getting when money's coming in or good things are coming in, I'm abundant. But when it's not, I'm not. The thing is, we're abundant all the time. The thing is, if you're focused on crap, you'll keep getting abundance of crap. Right? And the problem is we're not seeing that as abundance, but it is. And it's called the law of attraction. 
This yeah. reticulating, activating system in our brain sends out and quantum physics brings it to us. But we've got to be very careful about what it is we're thinking about and what we want. And we may, in this positive thinking, that's a lot of crap too, positive thinking doesn't work. Because if positive <coughs> thinking worked, we'd all be walking around with everything we wanted. But positive feel does. So it's not just the thing, you have to turbocharge out the feel, and that's belief. So if I've believed for a long time I'm poor, I'm going to stay there. If I believe as many, many rich and millionaires and billionaires, I don't want to be poor, I want that money, and all of a sudden they have it. Well, tell me the difference between those who are still here versus those that have moved. So it's, it's leading me. I have to change, not everybody else around about me. It's me. So, yeah, we all have to really step up on the, I need to lead me first. Let's, let's cut the crap on not looking at our shadow side. I need to look at the bits that are holding me back. And once I do that, and I take full responsibility for that, because I've got a bar model that I talk about, that when people follow that, I take full responsibility for the crap side of me. So if, if that's what I'm doing, now I can make changes in my life. But if I keep acting like the victim and it's their fault and it's the government and it's what she done and what he done and how am I supposed to do that and what my mother done, and you know, if we can't keep doing that, you're going to stay exactly where you are. Right? So it's all about, I need to start leading me and making a difference in my life. And that goes, that goes from anyone, not just leaders that are holding up companies. Well, I think that's a perfect place on uh, where to finish. We start talking about coaching. We've moved through, you know, business uh, and, and impact of coaching on business, the differences between coaching, mentoring and counselling. Uh, we've talked a bit about, uh, you know, just impact on the bottom line. And I think we've then finished quite nicely with actually it's all about how what your own values are and how you lead yourself, which then reflects on how you're then going to lead organisations, teams, families, etc. So I think that's a, a nice place to part. I really appreciate, um, you know, taking the time. Well, my morning, not yours. My um, early evening. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, so what I'm going to do as well is because obviously you, you've listened to Mag and you know you know that I, for, for not to put too fine a point on it, you know the shit. Uh, so when I post this and I post it on different places and on podcasts, etc., I post a lot of links uh, back to Mag. So that if you actually like what you heard. And you want to actually speak to Mags about what she does? Uh, I can vouch for her personally. Uh, that might not mean anything to you, but you've listened to what she said. So even if you don't believe in anything I say, you can you, you, you can tell from what she said she knows what she's talking about. So I think that that's a perfect time. So thanks very much, Max, and um, I'm sure I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Hakeem. And as I say every time, stay true, stay you, and keep bringing out your brilliance, mate. See you. I'll try my best. Thanks. <laughs>